Welcome to Banking on KC. I'm your host, Kelly Scanlon. Now, during the month of March, which is Women's History Month, we're going to be talking with several women who have left their mark on Kansas City's history. Some of them have shaped our past, and others are shaping our present and our future. And with us on this episode is Wendy Doyle, the president and CEO of United We. Wendy fearlessly advocates for women's economic and civic advancement by amplifying women's voices. She's at the forefront of all economic policies that impact women and their families. She regularly educates and informs decision makers and community leaders about policy solutions. She does that at the local, county, and state levels, and now national level as well. She'll be talking a little bit more about those efforts. And then she translates all that information that she collects into action, and she uses it to get in front of influential people like the state legislatures. She publishes op-eds in state newspapers, and she serves as an, a presenter and a champion for systematic policy change. And so we're really happy to have her here to talk about some of her work. Welcome, Wendy. Kelly, it's great to be with you. I want to thank you for all the work that you do on behalf of women. And like I said, not just in Kansas City, not just at the state level, but increasingly throughout the United States as the footprint of United We expands. So with that, why don't you give us a general overview of United We, you know, how it got started and now how it's changed since you got involved about nine years ago? Thank you, Kelly. Well, United We, I think the first thing to just clarify for the listener is the United We stands for United Women's Empowerment. And as you mentioned, we are celebrating 31 years of this history of this organization. And there has been an evolution. For the listener, we formerly were the Women's Foundation and we're headquartered here in Kansas City, Missouri. But that evolution and our name change happened a couple of years ago, and it really was a result of some, you know, spending lots of time on strategic planning. But I think first and foremost to really celebrate, as you identified, just, you know, the real history of a group of really, you know, thoughtful women leaders here in Kansas City who had the vision to really put their dollars to use by coming together, pooling their funds, and granting funds back out into the community really impacting women and girls organizations. And that really was, you know, kind of the springboard to where we are today. And we absolutely preserve that history, that, you know, profound vision that these women leaders had. When I joined the organization nine years ago, we really saw that relevancy of that model still still being true, but could be tweaked just a bit. And as you identified in the intro, that we really have evolved into being an evidence-based research-driven organization. So our conversation is truly around data and facts. And then where we see we can get some systemic change is in the policy front. We're an organization that's focused on economic development for women and their families, and we really approach that work in a nonpartisan manner. So that's kind of a quick kind of snapshot of, you know, our history and where we are today with some of our policy work. As part of that evolution, you have issued a series of economic impact reports over the first or the last few years. You started with the status of women in Missouri, and I think you're on your third report. And you've just recently released one for Kansas, and I believe you're going to expand to Oklahoma. What trends do these reports reveal? 
Absolutely, that's a great question. So we've really focused all of the status reports with the same indicator. So we're really benchmarking data. We can do comparison by state. Um, but as you highlighted, a real key point is benchmarking those same key indicators over a period of time to really understand yes. are we making progress in the state with our work or, or not and where we're falling behind. So just as an example, some of the key indicators that we're tracking definitely are around the employment and earnings indicator, looking at childcare and healthcare. Um, civic engagement of women, and definitely looking at aging and economic security and looking at the poverty um, level of women. So those are some of the trend lines that we track. I will say, you know, a key point that we really are interested in is looking at pay equity between women and men and looking at that comparative data between um, our multiple states. So between Missouri and Kansas, it's really hovering about a penny difference. So in Kansas, it's 78 cents to the dollar that men make for the same work. And in Missouri, it's 77 cents to the dollar that men make for the same work. As we are looking at that trend line, we're also benchmarking it to the national average too, which is about 83 cents to the dollar. Um, so Missouri and Kansas clearly lagging behind what's happening at the national level. But I think a key point for the listener is that is an average. So by state, we're really looking at all counties. And the widest pay gap is in more rural parts of both states. And it's about 51 cents to the dollar um, that men make for the same work. A wide gap. But again, in rural communities, much wider than what you see in metropolitan areas. So that's just an example of some of, you know, some of the trend lines that we're looking at in the reports. You've also held a series of town halls in Missouri. Tell us about that initiative, that work, what you're hearing from them, and do they line up with some of the, because these are the actual women that you're talking to in these town halls. How does that line up with what you are finding out in the Status of Women reports? The first step that we did after we completed the Status of Women in Missouri research report, which is a quantitative report, we wanted to get out and collect stories and really test that quantitative data to ensure it was accurate and just really understand what was happening, especially as we're moving into post-pandemic recovery. And we put together the first time in the history of Missouri, a Missouri Women's Economic Development Task Force. And it was comprised of women leaders by geography, by industry. Um, and really those leaders provided um, some leadership to hosting nine town hall sessions that we had around the state. And most of those were in person, a few just as a result of the pandemic, we had to pivot and, and host them virtually. We hosted two of those with um, Spanish-speaking roundtables. We had interpreters join us. And again, the objective was really to get out and hear from metropolitan and rural parts of the state, but hear from women in those communities. And um, we'll be taking that same practice, Kelly, to Kansas too. So we just released in the last few weeks the status of women in Kansas. We're right now putting together the framework for the Kansas Women's Economic Development Task Force. And then later this summer, we'll be hosting town halls around the state of Kansas and in all parts of the state, making sure that we're really comprehensive in geography. 
And then as a result, we'll release a town hall's report of here's what we heard from women. So we did that in December in Missouri. Were there any surprises or did what you were hearing from the women themselves line up with the reports that you had issued earlier? I would say, you know, we tested for sure what we heard is, you know, lining up with the report but it was the severity of what we heard. And we knew that childcare was a significant barrier, just you know what we were seeing as the national trend line of women dropping out of the workforce during the pandemic. Yes. But that really became true. Um, and we heard that loud and clear. And I thought that may be more prevalent in metropolitan parts of the state, but in rural, it is even more severe than what we anticipated. So that was a key point that came out of the discussion. So childcare, significant barrier that, you know, all parts of the state are experiencing. What are some of the others that you heard? You know, the second one that was really interesting is, you know, we asked the question during the pandemic, did you have disruption in your broadband access? And majority said yes. But what was, you know, very interesting is that in some of the rural parts of the state, the infrastructure for getting um, internet access to homes is not even in place. Really taking a step back in time that, you know, we heard from Um, someone in the southwest part of the state that to get infrastructure to her home, it would be an out-of-pocket expense of about $26,000 just to be able to get the infrastructure and then to be able to offer internet access. So a big-time barrier that we weren't anticipating. And then I think the third that we really were interested in is during the pandemic, did you take advantage of telehealth opportunities to communicate and stay in touch with your physician? And still a lot of uncertainty about how that would work and not a lot, not as many women taking advantage of that as that we thought. When you talk about the wage gap, the wage disparity, when you talk about the child care challenges, the broadband challenges, uh, the access to health services, what are the implications overall of those things on women? And Where are the opportunities, talking about the history and the progress over time, where do you see areas where we can make future progress? I definitely would say that the pandemic has really highlighted the child care challenge. And what we have learned through this process is that it was already a stressed industry, but now more than ever. And women were significantly impacted because if you think about who is actually providing the child care service, it is primarily women. These were women-owned businesses. They were primarily a women-driven workforce. And you know what we experienced in Missouri is about 30% of the childcare facilities closed. So what we've created here in Missouri, and we're identifying this to be true in Kansas too, is that the supply doesn't meet the demand. And this is really the most significant barrier to get families, primarily women, back to work. And if there's one thing that you know we can spotlight, that if we could make some change with that particular industry, you will see a workforce get back to work. What we are driving as an organization on is a metric by the McKinsey Global Institute. And if we can get women fully participating in the workforce, we have the potential to grow our Missouri economy by as much as 15%. And so that's our objective. We want to get women back to work. We want not only for households to benefit, but also overall our state's economy. What we identified in the Status of Women in Kansas report is about 31% 
of a woman's earnings go to childcare costs. So yes. you think about a third of a salary goes to childcare costs. And then to think about how a single mom would have to put together the rest of the household budget expenses together after a third comes off the top for childcare. It's really putting women and families in a position to have to choose between work and family. So Kelly, the long-term impact on women as a result of all of these issues that we've identified is really the financial impact to women in the long term. There's a couple of things. One, we know that women statistically outlive men. The concern is when women drop out of the workforce for a pandemic or to start a family, as an example, they take time off from work and there starts to be some gaps, gap in pay, gap in contributions to um, retirement funds or 401ks or 403bs. And what we're seeing is that we have an issue of poverty of with women over the age of 65. So what's really important is that we start to address some of these systemic issues earlier so that we can pave the way that women will live a life that is well-financed. And that is the long-term objective of what we are striving for. You know, another very important project that you began, it's been a few years ago now, is the Appointments Project. So tell us about that. Appointments Project is an evidence-based research-driven solution. And we commissioned a research study really looking at what are the barriers holding women back to engage civically. Our definition of civic is really serving and supporting our government. And there are boards and commissions opportunities at the city, county, and state level. And we really identified that to really start to get women comfortable with policy-making opportunities, that that would be a great place to start. So we piloted the appointments project here in Kansas City with then former Mayor Sly James and really learned and how to work with an elected official and then how to educate women about how to serve in this capacity. But some of the key findings of that research really showed that women undervalue their experience and qualifications. And when you compare that with men, men are much more confident and raise their hand, willing to jump in and do a project or volunteer, where women want to have all of the qualifications in line. Right. So the Appointments Project really was a solution to be that reassurance, that building confidence for women and walking them through the process of how to apply and then how to serve to be a good board or a commissioner at the city, county, and state level. And how are you providing that training? Is that coming directly from United We? Are you partnering with other organizations to provide? Because that is so important. It's one thing to get on boards, but then to be able to be a good board member where you can actually have the impact that's required. That's a whole nother level. So how are you accomplishing that? That is a self-directed United We initiative. So that's a service that we offer, complimentary to women to educate them about this opportunity and how to be well-prepared and serve with great leadership. And then we also, Kelly, work with the elected officials. And there is a, an additional research piece that we did just demonstrating that by having diversity and good representation around the decision-making table at these boards and commissions opportunities, the best decisions are made for our community. So transparency and it's just a good government practice 
And we have been really working and educating elected officials about this opportunity as well. So it's kind of a two-pronged approach, working with women and then working with elected officials. And this has been very successful. I remember when you first introduced it, you had a goal of 100 appointments within a certain time frame, and you flew right past that, <laughs> well ahead of your anticipated deadline for that goal. And where does it stand now? The appointments project now has just expanded significantly, and it's expanded outside of our Midwest borders. We are now in several states across the country, in mostly cities, um, ranging from Austin, Texas, to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, to Sacramento, California. And really, the objective here is just to continue to share this best practice with other communities across the country. But we are over 170 appointees now building a a significant applicant pool of women who are interested in serving. And I think we're most proud of that we've really focused on diversity. And we have over getting close to about 40% of our appointees that are representing diverse communities. You've been involved in this particular initiative for a short time. Are there any stories that you can share of the impact that this has already had? Absolutely. I think we've heard from several women kind of a consistent theme that this has really not only developed personal and professional leadership opportunities and skills, but women have gone on to kind of elevate from a city board and commission opportunity to getting Senate confirmed and serving at a state level. But it's also been a springboard too from a professional development opportunity. And we've had a couple of women just express interest in working through serving on a corporate board. So there is that, you know, kind of building the pipeline is what we like to see. But I think, you know, one of the most telling is you know, serving at that level built the confidence and women have gone on to run for elected office, serving on school boards or at a county commissioner level. And again, that that is success for us. That's exactly what we were hoping to accomplish with the initiative. Tell us about some of the legislation that you've been involved with. I said at the beginning that you regularly testify to legislators, that you write op-eds, very influential in that regard. How have those activities resulted in legislation that benefits women? One of the areas that we really have focused on because there weren't a lot of organizations working in the space is professional licensing, or at the policymaking level, it's referenced as occupational licensing. And we've really been a leader in both Missouri and Kansas, again, all evidence-based research-driven conversations. But what we really are wanting to do is reduce the red tape so that, again, women can get to work quickly. An example of that would be really leading the effort to reduce barriers for hair braiders. Believe it or not, in that cosmetology industry, that it was requiring hair braiders to go through cosmetology school with an expense of about an average $13,000 in the state of Missouri, but yet nothing in a curriculum that taught you how to be a hair braider. It took wow. a couple of years you know, of, of working through the legislative process, but we sent that to the governor's desk. He signed it into law. So now to be a hair braider, you take a safety online course and then submit an application in $25 and you are a licensed hair braider in the state of Missouri. The second is reciprocity. And what that means is that if you're licensed in another state, you want to come and practice your profession in Missouri, you can do that right away. So that worked through a legislative process. Governor Parson signed that. We were the second state in the country that really put reciprocity across the board. Arizona was first, and then we took what Arizona did, kind of improved it, and then Governor Parson signed that in 2020. 
So you've had some wins, you've had some successes at the state level. We talked earlier about some of your findings that you've released through a series of reports on the status of women in Missouri and status of women in Kansas. And then these town halls that you've had, uh, with what you have found there, what sorts of actions do you have planned to address those? So the next step for us in Missouri is with a town hall report release, Lieutenant Governor Kehoe really leaned in and grabbed a hold of this report and has been a big champion of it. And the child care challenge was the number one issue for Missouri. And he has put together under his leadership a child care work group of getting the right players around the table to start to have the discussions and think through what could a strategy look like to meet that supply and demand side. Secondly, the broadband access. We know that Governor Parson with the American Rescue Plan Act funds that are coming into Missouri, he is addressing that issue and really you know, putting $400 million toward the broadband infrastructure challenge. So that piece is happening. And then the third thing that we really heard just around being able to care for children, but also aging family members, is looking at paid family and medical leave. And the Missouri Foundation for Health has invested in a really significant research study that will be coming out later this summer that we are really going to lift up and look at and see ways that we can be a part of, again, keeping the conversation going and coming up with unique solutions. So those are some of the highlights of some next steps as a result of the town hall's report. If you had to choose a word or a phrase to sum up where women in the United States are today, how would you describe it? And where do you see the opportunity? The word I would choose is backward. And I choose that word because as a result of the pandemic, we fell way backward with contributions that we were making to the economy. And we know the United States Department of Labor reported during the height of the pandemic that women dropped out of the workforce at a rate of what it looked like in the year 1987. So we fell way backward when we were making some significant progress. You know, we've made ground, kind of moved forward and made up some of that work by getting women back to work, but we still have a long way to go. What I am is encouraged um, would be my second word that I would choose just based on, you know, spending time with women um, during the town halls. What I was encouraged is the discussion that we were having and women for the first time are really getting engaged in these discussions that men have been having for a long time around economic issues. And we heard from women as an outcome of the town halls. This is really the first time that I've had a good conversation about these issues. And we want that to happen on a more regular basis, you know, as an outcome of the town halls. So I think I chose the word backward, but I'm also encouraged. You talked about your long-term vision for women and the financial security you hope that all women can achieve. What's your long-term vision for United We, the organization? The long-term vision for United We is that we continue this path. You know, we are staying very focused, but we want to continue to share the best practices of our work far and wide. So again, that scalability, I think, is a big piece of our vision moving forward, just continuing to expand, continuing to create awareness, like I've identified of the key issues, but just sharing it with more states. 
How can people get involved with United We? One is, you know, for women listening, join us in the Appointments Project effort. We need you and and we want your perspective at serving in that capacity. So learn more about it and join us for one of our complimentary overview sessions. Secondly, we have an opportunity for United We ambassadors. So if you have an interest in a passion for this work, women and men, um, join us and learn more about that. And then third is we definitely want our research to be shared far and wide. It's, you know, a great conversation piece around the kitchen table or at a cocktail event, but definitely, you know, utilize our research, which all of those opportunities are accessible to learn more on our website, which is united-we.org. United-we.org. All of the different ways that you can engage are out there. And then also all of your research reports and findings are out there as well, right? Absolutely. All of them are accessible on our website. So please join and take a look. Wendy, thank you so much for being with us on this episode of Banking on KC. Thank you for all that you are doing to shape the history of women. We don't know. You know, we look back 100 years from now, and we don't know what the work you're doing now, the implications that it will have and how it will have changed women's lives for the better, but it will. So thank you very much. Kelly, it's been my honor to be with you today. Thank you. This is Susie Hall, president of Country Club Trust Company. Thank you to Wendy Doyle for being our guest on this episode of Banking on KC. United We's efforts to increase the gender diversity of civic boards and commissions through the Appointments Project is just one way United We advocates to ensure women's voices are heard. United We also holds multiple town halls for women, provides opportunities to speak before state legislatures, and hosts other activities to raise public awareness of the economic, workforce, and caregiving challenges women face. These challenges not only impact women individually, but also are barriers to economic growth for our entire community. United We's evidence-based work has been steadily transforming information into successful solutions. As we reflect on the contributions women have made in Kansas City and throughout the country during Women's History Month, Country Club Bank salutes United We and others in our community who work to empower women and expand their opportunities. Thanks for tuning in this week. We're banking on you, Kansas City. Country Club Bank, member FDIC.